Hello again, everybody. I am Rod Hayden, and this is Caterpillar Goo. Today we have my first attempt at interviewing and my first attempt at recording an interview. Mistakes were made, but lessons were learned. Uh, but the audio quality is a little sketchy, and I apologize for that. I love the story, though, so we are plunging ahead. I'm recording this one on a new microphone, so we'll see how that sounds. I think I've got a little step up here. Let's see how it goes. I am very happy today to introduce you to a woman who dedicated her life in service to others. First as an elementary school teacher, then as a wife and mother, then as a foster mother. Over the course of 13 years, she took in over three dozen kids, and most of those were under the age of two. So that's 13 years of diapers. Now that's service. When she retired from fostering, when her own kids were grown up and moved out, she started a new career as a social worker in family services. First, she helped get kids out of dangerous situations, and then later she changed to um, placing foster kids into adoptive homes. And all through those years, she had a nagging sense of her own spirituality, but she put it on the back burner until she retired from social work and had the time and freedom to really dive into it, to focus on her own growth and development. So here's her story, including all the new challenges she faces as she approaches 80, with nearly 50 years and counting, married to the man who loves and supports her through it all. Her life, her marriage, and her spirituality are all going through changes, proving that no matter our age, we are still all growing, changing, and learning. So let's get to it. Meet Robbie. For recreation as a family, we would go to the airport and watch the planes come in. And you could even you could go into the airport. You could go up to you could go anywhere in the airport. There was no security that I remember. So we would sit right up at the window where the planes were coming and going and the passengers were coming and going. And I would observe people saying hello to each other as they arrived or goodbye to each other as they left. And I would cry and because I felt it in my heart that these people are sad because they're saying goodbye to each other or these people are happy because they're saying hello to each other. And I would respond to whatever that emotion was and this was beyond my understanding or my mother's understanding. I would be tearful or sad and she didn't understand. She would want to know why I was so moody and her question always was, what's wrong? And I never had an answer. I just thought I was strange because I had no explanation for it. And that was why it was so frustrating to both my mother and me when she would say, what's the matter? Because she had a desire to fix it, whatever it was. And I could not give her an answer except, I don't know. I now know, many, many, many years later, that I was an empath as a child, and I still am. I feel other people's emotions as an adult in some conversation or class or whatever it was where somebody was talking about empathy and being an empath when I was like, oh, I get it. 
that's what I was going on when I had no understanding of it. I wasn't an unpleasant, moody kid. There was a reason for it, and it was okay. But I didn't identify it as coming from anywhere outside of myself, which I do now. Once I learned what the deal was, then I could control it and not accept all those feelings. You can say, if this emotion is not mine, please let it go. But it was a great relief to find out that there wasn't really something horribly wrong with me. And my mother went to a grave never understanding any of that or wanting to. I didn't really open any doors to spirituality with any understanding until a teaching job took me to Colorado as a young woman. And I met a couple there. They took me in their, under their wing and they were pretty far into some spiritual stuff and they started talking to me. And uh, this couple told me some things to read, some books to read. I, I, had, I had become very fond of them. This was, uh, the woman was the secretary at the elementary school where I had a new job. And she and her husband and three boys sort of took me as the young single teacher in the school, took me under their wing and had me at their house and talked to me about stuff, this stuff. And the first time they brought up the whole reincarnation thing, I remember going home being so disappointed because I really liked this, these people, and now they're crazy. <laughs> but 24 hours later, I went back to them and I said, okay, now tell me that again. How, what, how does that work? And from there on, it was kind of a ongoing thing, thing to read about, thing to think about, thing to wonder about. So it started in my early adulthood, but life happens and it had to go on the back burner. I went to see a, a reader, an older woman who lived out in the country, and she did psychic readings. I went out to this house out in the country and she was an elderly woman and she took me into a room where there was nothing but little candles all around in little saucers and stuff all around the room and the room was otherwise dark. But the thing that was interesting was that in the middle of her reading for me in which I was asking questions about will I ever get married and, and will I have children which was my whole goal in life at the time, one of those uh, candles exploded and went pop and she laughed and she said, oh, <laughs> and I said, oh, what? And she said, oh, nothing, you will be doing this at some time. And I was like, yeah, right, you know, because <laughs> there was nothing yet for me to think anything like that. I was just learning about something new and I wasn't applying it to myself. Remember I got married and inherited two kids and was teaching full time and 
then I was pregnant, and, you know. So stuff was going on that wasn't related. But there was always a thread in some way, always in the back of my mind, always kind of thinking there's more to life than what we see. But I knew years ahead of time that when the children were grown and I was retired, I would claim some time and I would learn this stuff. I would find out what was what. And that's what happened. I started out with creative writing classes, which helped me sort of examine myself, who I was, what kind of writer, and my baby was, you know. And then the other thing I did, this was at the community college, was take pottery classes. And I did it for, you know, long as I needed to do it, I guess, which was probably a couple of years. I gave pots away. I was just so happy with them. But it was it was opening my heart in some way to do that. And what I loved, I think what was the draw for me, was the hands in the dirt, the hands in the clay. There was some kind of connection made with something really basic. Then I, I went into a period of, okay, I know I'm ready for something. I don't know what it is and I don't know where it is. I, I guess I'm praying, but I'm not really praying to anybody. I'm just sending out in my mind, help me find my tribe. Help me find people who are on this same, have these same questions, have the same thing going on. And I couldn't find anybody. Well, time goes by and then Eventually, I did find a place where people who were on spiritual path were meeting and talking. And it was within seven miles of my house where I'd been waiting to, for somebody. But when the time was right, I, it came to me, and I started attending with groups. And that's where you re the growth really happens, I think, is, is, is like-minded people. And I found those like-minded people. I learned so much. I took, uh, I learned to channel from the people there who channeled. My friends who were channeled taught me to channel, and I have since taught people to channel. You are in control. It doesn't just happen to you. You allow it to happen to you. You know, you you are not taken over by anybody or. Uh, it's not mysterious once you're once you are able to do it. it it's not such a big deal. I mean, it's it's just what you can do. Like maybe you can tell me the piano, but I can channel. Different channels describe it differently. I have a good friend who is not a conscious channel, and he describes it as he goes somewhere else and sits on a bench somewhere while the channeling is going on for him. When he comes out of this state, he's not aware of what happened. I, I am too much of a control freak to let go to that degree. Nothing ever happens that I don't want to happen or allow to happen. But my, uh, my guides tease me. They, their humor is wonderful. They make fun of me. <laughs> they laugh at me. 
because I repeat the same patterns and things sometimes. And I have a wonderful relationship with my spirit guides. It's fun. And one evening with my friends, I said, I have someone. I have someone who wants to come through. And I had channeled Mother Mary before, and I knew what she felt like, what that energy felt like. But this energy was different, and the message I got was, we are four. Can you guess what four we are? Playing games with my friends. It turned out that I was channeling Mother Mary, Mary Magdalene, Kuan Yin, and Mother Teresa. All, at, all those energies at once. And it was Mary Magdalene who turned out to be the main spokesman, although the other energies are always there when that comes through. But uh, she said, we are four. We are the merry band of holy mothers. And so that's what, that's what I've channeled for a long time, but the merry band of holy mothers, which showed a sense of humor, which much appealed to me because humor is my path in many instances. But Mary Magdalene is a fun. <laughs> she, I call her a modern woman because she's, she's firm and opinionated and smart is what you get from her energy. So I, I loved that and I still love that. And then my most recent thing that's happened was uh, I learned that I can channel what is called the language, a language of light. But I was driving by myself in the car back from a, a meeting and I began speaking words that I didn't understand and I'm driving and I'm also gesturing and then it's gone and I'm, I'm left there going well what the hell was that <laughs> and it sounds like language when I speak it and various people try to identify it and say oh that sounds like Hawaiian or oh that sounds like whatever other language. It's none of those. I channel uh, an archangel, Zadkiel, and he was the one who came through to explain to me what was happening and that it's a privilege and it's useful and I have the privilege of having it and the ability to use it. And he explained that the language of light is not a language as we would think of language in which there are words and the words have meaning. The language of light is vibration, energy, and the sound, the vibration of sound and the energy of sound. And Zadkiel has channeled many times saying, don't try to identify it as a language you have heard. Don't get hung up on words, just open your heart to the vibration and receive it as it is given. And that's the best and only explanation I really have, except that it comes from the highest 
most divine source, and it is for the good. Zachiel has been with me, and I had a vision of him before I really knew what was going on. And I think being, being by water has always been special for me. And we were at the lake. But I I, I meditated, and, and then I lay down on the bed, and a great angelic figure came and was beside me on the bed. I think that was my first introduction to Zadkiel, and then he, and then I recognized him later as our connection got bigger. But he's always been with me. I know you've read my memoirs, but I know you, you have read about a spirit called Delight. And she was a delight, but her name was D.E capital L-I-G-H-T, which means from the light, which is where she was from, the light. <laughs> and she was uh, a spirit who had never, had never incarnated on earth. And so she came to me for preparation to be incarnated. She came to me and to my group. It was a like group project to deal with delight. And she was with me for a period of several months. And I channeled her many, many, many times. And she became a, a beloved child of mine, almost. And there was a lot of humor around delight and channeling delight. And she made me do things that I would never do on my own. She liked to dress me and put things in my hair. And so I would go out with flowers in my hair. <laughs> and I'd go to a group, say, who knew Delight now, because I channel her so many times, they'd go, Ah, oh, Delight dressed you today. <laughs> no, I don't. Bright colors. And up until the time of Delight, I was pretty conservative and age uh, aware of what somebody my age might need to look like. And, after delight, I just never cared anymore. <laughs> if it pleased me, I wear it. That's why I'm wearing red Converse now. So delight brought so much richness through humor. She was like a four-year-old. She was very unruly and open. And I was to teach her how to behave. And she would, she would approach somebody. Now, she's in my body, so it's me. It appears to be me. But she would approach somebody, and she was always kind and joyful, but she would say, I like your necklace. Can I have it? <laughs> and they would go, no, but you can look at it. You know? And uh, then she'd get rockets, and then she'd say, shh. And she called me Mama. She would say, Mama says, shh. And she'd get really quiet, and then she'd just explode or jump up or do something crazy. And she was with us, and then we knew she was ready to, to go, and she did. I've had several of those kinds of channelings that come and stay for a while and do whatever it is they need to do, and then they leave. It's sad when they leave, because they become part of you, part of your heart. Never, I'll never forget the light. 
She did a lot for me. She loosened me up. In the beginning, when I first began being connected, I found feathers all the time. And one time, you know, the house in Richardson and the hallway down the middle of the house, I found a feather in the middle of that hallway, which had no explanation for being there. And I found an actual arrowhead in the front room one time. And these are just gifts of connection. These are just hello or I'm here. They're just <laughs> and out here now you know, I, I told you I've been meditating out under the trees. Like I found a, a feather on the seat of my chair. And yes, it could have fallen, you know, from a tree, from a bird, but, but, but it was so specifically placed. And then another time I found one right by the back door, which is where I go in and out to go to my sacred space. And, you know, they're just uh, a comfort. Uh, hi. Those of us who channel have been getting messages for at least the last five years. I've been part of it, and probably longer than that, of receiving messages from Spirit that what we are in now in the world was coming. And we got message after message about chaos. There will be chaos, but chaos indicates change, and chaos is necessary. This is necessary. Because in the end, things will be entirely different and better. Just stand in the chaos, shine your light, don't ask, keep asking, what do I need to know to do, what can I do to make things better? Nothing. Just be there while the chaos goes around you. And you will have, you may not know it, but you will have Many, many, many more people are openly doing what I'm doing. We're here. We can help. And when you start, you, you think, what should I should be doing something. I should be teaching groups. I should, this was me. I should be reaching out. I should be healing people. I should be... And that message is always... It isn't necessary for you to do. It is necessary for you to be who you are. So I would say there's more and more and more awareness. But there's another side to it, which is um, we are not accepted by everybody as anything but nuts. Just nuts. And I'm hearing stories about holistic practitioners, doctors, practitioners like me, I guess, that I'm not ha I don't have a, a platform that puts me way out there, which there are people who are big-time spiritualists. But I'm hearing now that there are, are unexplained deaths among practicing holistic doctors who are preaching against big pharmaceuticals against big medicines, against 
the food we eat against the way we treat food, the way it's grown, etc., etc., etc. There's a lot of controversy now, whereas our side of it is to simplify. And the messages I get for the last few years have been there's going to be a big change in the food industry, for instance. We spend huge amounts of money shipping food far distances at great cost when the trend will be toward local production of healthy food. Has it happened? No. Is it happening? Yes. Now we are seeing things about um, city gardens, individuals and, and communities that are making gardens and making the produce available to the residents and so on. It's very small, but it's a start. And we're, we're bringing up consciousness about where your food comes from, what poisons have been put in it or on it, and so on. I don't expect to see the changes that are coming in my lifetime, in this lifetime, but I can see that they are coming. And I think that in many levels there's change now occurring in business. In there's more awareness at the tops of businesses about the right way to do things and the wrong way to do things. The right way to lead and the wrong way to lead. Um, you just hear small stories about change and that's what we're hearing. And it's all, it's all starting to happen. But it's a long process. And it's been going the wrong direction for years and years and years. Whether I've done what I'm supposed to do, I don't know. Will I have to come back and do it all over again? I don't know. For a long time I was getting visions or flashes before I was really connected, but I would get scenes in my head, which I knew were in Ireland. And I knew it was me. It was like watching a movie, kind of, in which I was a young girl, probably 15. I knew it was me. I knew it was in Ireland. And I knew that I had been hired by a family to care for their children. And I knew that it did not have a good end. It was in the time of the potato famine, when people in Ireland were starving. I can't give you a year because I haven't studied it, but I know that's what I was seeing. And we died. The children and I, I saw a, a scene of me lying in a white dress on the ground somewhere with dead children around me. We were all, we had died. And that was, that was my vision. It's interesting now because in this lifetime, food has been a big part of my life. And getting enough food has been a big part of my life since early childhood. I've been chubby. <laughs> and I thought 
that my feelings of hunger are different from other people's feelings of hunger because through all my years I could eat a good meal and within half an hour feel hungry again. And I knew that didn't make physical sense, but it was the feeling and I would want to eat more. So it wasn't until last very few years that all of that has come into my consciousness of the connection between that life in Ireland, at least that one, and who knows how many others that had food issues in them. I don't know and I don't need to know. But what I learned from having conversations about this and having somebody wiser than me help me see that we didn't have enough food. So I have a, a, a drive to have enough food, have more than enough food. And I have the drive to take care of kids. Well, what happened in this lifetime? I chose to care for a whole bunch of other people's children. And I was driven to take good care of them and to fix them if I could. And that was with foster care. So those themes can recur in more in other lifetimes. And it wasn't really until I had that understanding, which as I say was in the most recent years, that I even came close to solving the obesity problem. I'm learning who I really am and liking who I really am and loving who I really am as a spiritual person with some awareness and a wonderful connectedness that I'm so grateful for always. I have some difficult things to cope with in my life right now, but things just change drastically. And it's taken me a while to swim back up to the top and look around and say, you know what, it's okay. And that's where I am now. Part of the story is that we had to move suddenly. Things changed very suddenly. And we moved away from my wonderful safe place and my wonderful connections and connected friends and people that I enjoyed so much because if you're in a group of people, of like-minded people, it's so wonderful because you don't, you don't have to explain anything to them. They already know. You can just talk and so your relationships get close. You find like-minded people that mean a lot to you. And, I had, and we needed to leave that place. And that changed everything for me because I lost all that support and joy. And, and my, my instinctual thought was, I need to recreate what I had. And that's what I'm going to do. I'm in a different place, but I'm going to find those like-minded people I'm going to recreate what I had and it's going to be wonderful. 
well, that hasn't happened. And I've suffered a long time over why isn't it happening? Why can't I do this? Why, why is nothing working? Why, 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 why? And it's taken, you know, a year or more for me to finally listen enough to understand that that's not what it's meant to be. That was then, this is now, and I won't recreate what I had, and I don't need to, and I shouldn't. And what I'm finding is it's on a very low-key, one-on-one connection, one person at a time. And I don't know where it's going from that, but I'm finding a lot more resource within myself and a lot more meaning in my connection with spirit. Instead of being so connected with people who are connected with spirit, now my connection is me and spirit. I don't have to stop being who I am. I don't have to stop doing what I can do, but it will be different. I never lost my spiritual connection, but I lost the abundance of it. I lost the total presence of it. It was always there, and I could always connect, but there were periods of time when I didn't, because I was distracted and coping, (laughs) and not remembering that my best coping lies in my spiritual life. So I kind of got things backward or screwed up somehow because I have this great source that I sort of lost track of. And and I'm in that coming back to it and reforming it into something different. And that's where I am now. I know that my passion is to teach people who are coming into this realm new, who are coming to spirituality as beginners, because I remember being a beginner, and I remember how it was when things opened and opened, and I found that I can teach people who are ready and wish to channel, and I just think that's a wonderful thing. and I, I would like a way to use that, but it hasn't shown itself yet. That doesn't mean that it won't. My husband had a stroke, and that changed everything, because he is now a disabled person, which changed my life Probably not as deeply as it changed his life, but changed my life. We had a pretty pretty traditional married relationship. We are now in our 50th year of marriage, and he was the husband, and I was the wife. I was not a a non-participating wife, but we had roles. Uh, 
the things that he took care of and the things that I took care of, which is, was kind of traditional. But I didn't always fit in the traditional role because I hate housekeeping and I don't cook. But <laughs> other than that, and I always had an equal say in things, but just in day-to-day -day things, he took care of this stuff and I took care of that stuff. He took care of the cars, he took care of the maintenance, he took care of the manly stuff. I took care of the other stuff. I took care of the kids, I took care of the whatever needed taken care of, because I'm a caretaker. <laughs> I want him to feel like, in my eyes, he's still the man I married, but he knows, <laughs> he knows that that's not entirely true. But in the important things, it's true. He didn't lose his intellect. He lost his physical abilities. Having lost so much of his humanity, not spiritually, but his human life is much restricted now. And his sense of self has changed. I, I want to help him hang on to that. And I don't, you know, I don't want to push him or say you need to do this or you need to do that because he knows exactly what he's doing for his own good. I think I think he stayed through this stroke and so on for my sake. I think if he had gone, he, it would have been fine with him. But he knew I wasn't ready for that. So he's here and doing the very best he can, and it's lessons for both of us, real lessons on how to, how to be in the world, where to find comfort, and where to find inspiration, how to keep on keeping on under really difficult situations. It's interesting because when we met, I was just, I had just learned about reincarnation because I had just gotten to Colorado, met that couple, they told me about it, and I got hooked into it. Well, then I met Rudy, and our uh, courtship and marriage was very quick in time because uh, there was recognition, and so we went from A to Z really fast. And like met on February 4th and married on March 30th. I knew it was going fast and I, I thought I have to tell him that I'm crazy and he's going to think I'm crazy and that'll be it. I have to tell him what I'm doing, what I'm into, what I'm searching for. And so I did, trembling in my shoes thinking this is the end of a good thing for me. And you know how quiet he is, and he said, Oh, yeah, well, I knew that. I just didn't know I knew it. End of discussion. <laughs> and here's what I know in my heart is that he has done it all before. He's a very old soul. He came into this lifetime to see me through it. That is my belief, and I'll 
stick to it. He's just, and we've used this metaphor, I'm the balloon, up in the air, all around, whatever, uncontrolled sometimes, and he holds the string and keeps me grounded. And that's his, been his mission. And he's done it very well. He listens when I talk. He doesn't talk much about it. But he already somewhere in him knows this stuff. He knows it backwards and forwards. And he doesn't need to practice it or participate in it other than through me. And so when this happened, all of a sudden, things were different. I'm now the only driver. I'm, he now has to depend on me, which is a huge change for him. It's difficult. I don't know how to explain it other than that, but that's what happened. And so all of a sudden, I'm in a new place, in a new marriage, trying to figure things out. Who am I? How, what is my job? What, and, and am I doing it well enough? And I do worry about that, you know, should I do more? Should I do less? Should I do blah, 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 blah. And we're working it out. But it's very hard to see someone you love and have loved for so long be in pain, be have uh, the things that used to come easily don't even come anymore, uh, can't do stuff. It's hard. Of course it's changed our relationship because he can't see himself now the way I still see him. And no matter how much I tell him, how much I love him, and, you know, the things that husbands and wives say to each other, I don't think he receives it as much as I want to give it. He sees a truth. And the truth is that we cannot sleep together. We cannot even lie together, really. He's un you know, he has to be in a certain position in bed. So there's a certain, uh, there's an intimacy that is lost. And I'm not talking about sex, I'm talking about intimacy that is lost. And I mourn that. I, I don't, we kiss, we say we, how much we love each other. And again, his having to depend on me or the most, sometimes the most personal things that he would certainly want to keep, you know, to himself, I have to be a part of sometimes. And that's hard on him and me. But here's the thing, we have a very solid base and we're doing okay with this. Um, you wish it could be different, more like it used to be, a more equal relationship. But I still depend on him to be 
hold in my strength. I still depend on him to be my rock. We talk more openly about how old we are <laughs> and what's coming and not knowing when it's coming, but knowing it's coming when you get to be 78 and 80 years old. You have to know. But I think his faith and my faith in what's that we will go somewhere, <laughs> you know, we won't just end and that's it. We'll, we'll be okay. But on an earthly plane in the third dimension, it's hard to think about it and talk about it. There's, there's some squeamishness about it, and I think we need to start bringing that forward more, even in a humorous way, that it's part of our life. He said, just call somebody to pick me up, tell him I kicked the bucket, the old man kicked the bucket, or something, you know, humorous. And I think that's where we need to go more of than, than me worrying in the middle of the night. Is he all right? Oh my God. But, you know, that's not productive at all. And yet it's still there for me, and I need to work on that. Because I'm, I'm torn. I don't want him to continue to suffer for years and years and years, but I don't want to be alone for years and years and years, so I have to... And who's to say he's the first to go? If I'm the first to go, then that complicates things a lot. But we have wonderful children who have stepped up and stepped in, so we're very, very blessed in that way. In some ways, I'm still hyper-vigilant. I still get up in the middle of the night and go down and look at him. He's in another room down the hall. And look until I get a sign that he is sleeping. And he's not aware as far as I know that I do that. But but my anxiety gets to the point where I just need to do that and then I'll be okay. And not, every, not all the time. We have really good days and really bad days. So it's kind of... But I think there's a purpose for both of us. There are things that I need to learn. There are things that he's needing to learn. I can't name them all, but I think we're learning. <laughs> I think we're, we're receiving lessons. His and his ability to allow me to care for him. And me, my ability to care for him, you know, in, in a very personal way sometimes. Sometimes he says thank you to me, kind of humbly, and I don't know how to feel about that because I know he's grateful, but how I wouldn't do any, you know, of course I'm going to do this, I'm going to do what I can do to make his life bearable. And some days we have a really good time together, and other days it's hard. But it's not anything unusual or that everybody suffers through sometimes. It's not, you know, I don't feel like it's punishment for anything or you know, any of that. My, my guilt, I know is, it doesn't make sense to feel guilty. But on the morning, or the 
Okay. We don't know exactly when he had the stroke. But we were in separate beds at that time for various reasons, like snoring and different timetables. And so his, his comfortable schedule puts him in bed late in the morning and up late at night. Mine is exactly the opposite. And so I was up and ready to leave the house almost out the door before he was able to get my attention that something was terribly wrong. And he just barely got my attention or I would have been out of the house for two or three hours. My guilt, which is not, um, doesn't make sense, is there's an hour or possibly two times after a stroke when the outcome can be really, really good. And we missed that window totally. But obviously this was how it was supposed to come down and so here we are. I know that, but there's still that golly think of how much better things could have been if we had just been alert to something you know. Well if I'm intuitive, why didn't I know? Is part of it. Which is again not it doesn't make sense that I know of. I don't think he feels that way. He's not really upset that I do. But I don't I imagine that he would go, That's the stupidest thing I ever <laughs> That's me, you know. But I don't wallow in it or anything. It is what it is. It's still hard for me to ask, but I'm getting better and better. And I think that's part of the lesson is to be vulnerable in that way. And so my asking my kids to do things for me is a really big deal. And you've all been totally wonderful about responding, but that does that still it's still hard for me to say because I'm the mom and we're the kids. But to know we have kids who will respond no matter what is wonderful. I ask for help. I ask for calm. I ask for whatever I need. And then I expect to receive it and I do. I have trouble at night because I'm a worrier. And there are things to worry about in my life right now. And I haven't conquered entirely and as much as I like with the all is well. I believe all is well, no matter what is happening. I believe it's not random and it's, it's intentional and it's necessary. But there's an emotional part of me that has trouble calming down to all is well in the middle of the night. So sometimes I get up and work on it and try to connect and say, look, help me. <laughs> this is not good. One of the energies that I channeled when we were living in Richardson came to me and identified herself as Rose. She said, I am Rose. <laughs> and I said, well, who are you? Well, Rose is my joy guide. 
And she, her whole thing was simply to make me express joy. And she does it, she did it, by coming through in a group and just raising canes. She would, yeah, she would come through and she would say, hey, it's Rose. Say hello, Rose. And <laughs> the group would say, hello, Rose. And lots of them already knew her. And I have people that I hear from, from Dallas, who still refer to Rose and how much she meant to them. Because she would, she would make them stand up, stamp their feet, clap their hands, yell them, you know, dance and do, you know, crazy things that were not of my own nature until she was with us. I couldn't be as silly as Rose. And when we moved, Austin, I lost Rose. I didn't, I didn't call for her and she didn't appear. But recently, as I'm starting to get myself back into a good place, she's showing up. She hasn't come through in a raucous way, but I hear her and she's there. And there will be an occasion at some point <laughs> where Rose appears. And that's a, a good thing. Now, that might sound like a crazy story to somebody, but to me, it's my truth. And I love it. That's it for this episode. That was my mother, if you hadn't guessed. That's my mom, Robbie Hayden. My thanks to her for participating, telling us about her spiritual life. I really like talking to her, and I learned a lot from doing it. Thanks, Mom. Um, this episode was edited and mixed by me. Uh, I made the intro and outro music but all other music in the episode was written and performed by Aiden Folgar. He's a very impressive young man, and my thanks to him for that music. And I'm really hoping that he will make some more for us in the future. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time.